Hey everyone, welcome to the Why I Believe podcast. This is episode two, and today we have Emily Brown with us. We're super excited to hear her story. It's going to be a good one. Absolutely. So Emily, we're just going to jump right into it. Why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, just introduce yourself a little bit. Sure. So I grew up mainly in Mountain Home, Idaho. So I pretty much lived in Idaho most of my life, except for when I served a mission over in Philly or, you know, I was born in Las Vegas. So I often got questions of if I was born in a casino, but (laughs) 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 Um, so I feel like majority of my life was pretty normal. I mean, I had had normal struggles growing up, but, you know, a nice family and um, born into the church. We were all members um, I feel all of my siblings and parents had strong testimonies in the church. And so I grew up with that as a background, but definitely do not feel like I believe just because of them, if that makes sense. So I grew to gain my own testimony in the Savior and learned through a lot of really hard life lessons that keeping your focus and your gaze just on the Savior in its simplicity is a lot easier than trying to think of all of the different avenues of what obedience could potentially mean and what commandments are in our minds. So about, it's about four years ago now that I think that really came into perspective for me, that understanding grew of what it really means to um, have the savior sucker you. Because he's the only one that can do that. He's the only one that can run to you in in moments of trial since he actually lived it first. He was in our shoes first. And so during that time I was in school, I was going to BYUI, and I was on a very spiritual high, the biggest high I've ever been on. And I would go as far as to say that it was an addiction at that point because I was doing more than anyone should ever do. that point in life. I was going to the temple every day. I was reading conference talks in my spare time. I wasn't watching movies or really anything that would potentially drive the spirit away because in my mind, I was thinking at that time, you know what, like the city of Enoch was translated. All of those people were able to make it. Like there were people that lived that could achieve perfection and were translated or, you know, twinkled or whatever you want to call it. And so in my mind, I got this idea that I can do it too. And I had only good intentions of pleasing the Lord and everything that I was doing. I would get up at around five in the morning to do about two hours of study. So I would do like the Book of Mormon and then the Bible and then come follow me and a book one of the apostles had written or, you know, conference talks that I was literally diving into everything, doing, um, family history work in my spare time since I was going to the temple every day. And, oh, what else? I was trying to do like word of wisdom stuff. So I was exercising and literally was going to school full time. So doing all of this at the same time, along with studying for school. And I started to notice that something felt off inside. And a lot of times, especially the older generation will tell you, well, maybe it's because you need to do more. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're like, what else could I be doing? You need to pray more. You need to read more. You need to, you know, go to church more, whatever it may be. 
Um, and especially in my family, a positive mental attitude is a huge thing. So a lot of the times, not just family members, but other people would kind of be like, you know, it's all in your mind. Um, maybe if you just be more grateful, you know, <laughs> if you just think about things. All the little pieces uh, of advice that like, <laughs> like they could be like little like sticky notes of like all the things that people say. Because it's always the same stuff too. <laughs> it is true. And oftentimes it comes from people that haven't gone through really hard things or that at least haven't gone through a similar thing to you. And so they don't understand that realm of hardship, I guess, is a way to put it. And so for me, it was, it led into depression and anxiety. And it was, it was a major depressive disorder that I was diagnosed with and obsessive anxiety, which I found interesting. But it was true. I got to a point where I was kind of obsessing over my, my counselor that I went to see at the time told me that I was creating commandments in my mind. I was calling things commandments that weren't actually commandments. And I was using very intense vocabulary in my mind that made me feel like I had to do things instead of being like, oh, you know, I want to do this for the Lord. Like I thought it was because I wanted to do it, but it was really just because I felt like I had to. And that if I didn't, I was breaking a commandment or I was disobeying the Lord. And then I would start to beat myself up about it. And nobody should live like that about the things they're doing. So Emily, uh, elaborate on that for me. Like, I just want to make sure I understand kind of like where you're at. It sounds yeah. like your heart is in the right place. So like you're like, in my heart, yes. I want to do this for the Lord, right? Like I'm killing myself <laughs> yep. in my heart. It's for the right reason. But like, do you feel like in your mind, it was just like, I have to check all these boxes in order to be obedient, in order to be faithful. Like what was the that disconnect between your mind versus your heart? A lot of it was that I wanted to like give myself to the Lord in a way that he could use me in every area. And it was just extreme is what I would call it. It was just really extreme. And I think we get to points where we set expectations for ourselves that are way higher than what the Lord has set for us. And so um, I think I just lost sight of what was healthy that, you know, we're supposed to live our lives. You could think of it like a pizza slice, like a big pizza with a bunch of slices in it. And each slice is going to fluctuate in size depending on what stage of life you're in. So think of it then I was in college. So probably like a good 80% of my pizza should have been for college, like a big slice of it. And then the rest of what I could fit in there should have been in there, but prioritized to, you know, an order of importance and some things I wouldn't have been able to fit in there. And that would have been okay. But the Lord was expecting me to dedicate most of my time to school because that was the phase of life I was in. And instead I pretty much had two pizzas, <laughs> which is impossible. You can't fit a whole pizza of gospel in when you need 80% of it to be school. So a similar thing as motherhood, you can't expect yourself to fit like 80% of your time into the gospel when like 99.9% .9 of it is going to be towards your family when you have lots of little kids running around. So I think we're, we're really hard on ourselves as time fluctuates. And as we go through different phases, we think that we should still be, you know, running as fast as we were when we were 18, 
when we're in our forties and we can't do it anymore because our bodies won't let us, you know, it's just recognizing the different phases of life you go through and what's healthy, what the Lord wants you to do rather than trying to achieve this really unhealthy status. And it had gotten pretty intense at that time. Like I was wanting, so I was also um, aspiring to become a counselor for the church to help people because it's something I really enjoyed. And at that point I was gaining so much knowledge and I'm not trying to sound all like uppity or anything, but it got to where everyone was coming to me for advice, even bishops. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was intense. Just lots of learning. You know, I was learning about psychology at the time, too. And so I was applying that to the gospel and um, had a job that was very similar to counseling. It was peer mentoring at the school okay. and pretty much just handling what the counselors didn't have time to handle. And so a lot of times, you know, it ranged from people being stressed with schoolwork to somebody having been raped in class or in their dorm or whatever, you know, it just ranged from everything. And I was enjoying that a lot, but then it was also happening outside of work. People in the ward, in my apartments would be coming to me all the time for advice. And then, yeah, the like the bishop at the time would talk to me about some of the students sometimes asking for advice. I'd get comments at church that, talks I gave or lessons I gave were like um, general conference status. <laughs> it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot to put on a, you know, 23 year old's shoulders. And I was kind of doing it to myself, but not recognizing what was happening. And so then when I started realizing that something was off inside, I have studied a lot about, you know, mental health because that's part of the field I'm going into. And so I was trying to focus on self-care at the time. And what's funny is what I thought was self-care was doing even more. <laughs> it's just like, so I started implementing like going on hikes every day because that was something I really enjoyed. But when I would hike, I would get up to the top wherever I was hiking and I would start reading from those books again, reading just spiritual books and, um, you know, not fiction, just you know, not something that you'd think someone would read in their spare time. It was always just to learn. I was trying to gain even more knowledge because I wanted to do even more than I was doing. And I was thinking, oh, this will make me better if I can feel the spirit even more. Well, eventually my boss was pointing out to me that, you know, maybe you want to go talk to somebody. It's like, even if you don't feel like you have something major going on, it's always a good idea to talk to somebody that's their their profession is in that field so you know even if they just tell you basic things it's kind of nice to know if there's anything wrong well like due to the circumstances of the school and what it allowed as far as getting counseling you had to have a certain amount of credits so to be taking a certain amount of classes and at that time I felt like my functioning was dropping so much that the very thing that made me stressed was what I needed to have more of in order to get help. <laughs> so I had to, I had to take classes so that I could get counseling. And at that point, I even was recognizing that, you know, getting help was more important than passing. And so I wrote my teachers and I was like, I'm in this class solely to get counseling. So I'm not going to participate. It's just so you're aware. I'm sitting in this class 
gonna receive a zero, but it's so that I can receive help. Like this is what's going on in my life right now. And, um, one of them was very understanding and I never heard back from the others, but um, that one professor was, he, he had sent an email back that had meant so much at that time that I had screenshotted it and read it every day for a good month. <laughs> it was one of those things that helped. But during that time, I think what helped the most was awareness that I had studied a lot on depression because of friends and family that have struggled with it. And I wanted to understand more about it because on the outside, it does just look like, oh, you know, you're really hard to handle and you need to just think positive. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're struggling a lot. I don't know why you can't just have faith that the Lord's going to help things, you know, fall into place, but that really has nothing to do with it. Because I studied, I recognized throughout the time that for the majority of the past like three years, so this year not included, I could not feel the Holy Ghost at all. But I recognized that that's what comes with depression is you kind of lose that ability, that sense to feel him, but that it doesn't mean he's left. And so a lot of people when they fall into depression will feel that they're doing something wrong because they can't feel the spirit anymore. But it has nothing to do with that. Like you are not the problem and you are not depression. Depression is its own thing that you're struggling with. And it's the cause of why you can't feel the spirit. And so that helped a lot. Otherwise, I think I would have thought something was wrong with me at that point, spiritually, especially coming from this like high of all highs I'd ever been on. Um, and then dropping to... like that's interesting yeah I just think that's super important I want to highlight that because you're saying from your your studies and what you understand you recognize this in yourself like you're like hey mm -hmm. I'm depressed and that's why I'm not feeling the spirit like you can recognize that because I I feel like I've known a lot of people I don't know about you Carly like I feel like I've known people that have been you know they are down and they're like man I don't feel the spirit but like I've heard people say that Mm -hmm. never put that together like okay because you're depressed like i don't know if it's just that you're you're numb to emotion in general yeah that makes it very hard to feel the spirit because the spirit really i think works through our our emotions and our mm -hmm. physiology and everything right so if you're numb to that i i don't know i just want to elaborate on that i think that's an important thing for people to recognize there are pathways in your brain that um tend to either like break or disconnect when you have depression, there are certain things that are not working the way that they're supposed to be. And a lot of that plays, I think the spirit plays into biology. A lot of it, like you're, you're unable to have that sense. And then a big part of it too is the medication you take. So mm -hmm. antidepressants are specifically designed to numb your emotions and they numb all of them, not just the bad ones. So that's the downside. But the upside is that, you know, you're not experiencing the worst part of it as bad as it would be. Um, I don't know, like there's a whole nother avenue on medication that really stinks because it's the, the percentages, the numbers behind it are so low when it comes to effectiveness that the first medicine you can be on might have like a 30 to 40% chance of working. And then each new medication that you try after that almost cuts it in half of its potential to work. 
and I had tried four. And so by the fourth one, you know, the percentage is down to like three, you know, right. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever. Yeah. And it really just gets to a point of where you only have the Lord to rely on. And I've seen in my life other people with depression who fall away from him. And I, there's absolutely no judgment. I completely understand why it comes to that because it is such a dark place to be. Um, I remember it was about, I think about a year or two into it when I started to deal with suicide. And again, that just, that's just comes with depression that there's something wrong in your brain and it was really odd because of the awareness I had of what was happening to me it was almost like I was watching myself on the outside and during those moments you kind of lose that um, common sense side of yourself and so the very first time I contemplated suicide or had a plan was in I was in school and I was in my apartment by myself. At that time I had just gotten a puppy because you know it's it's a having emotional support animals is a really good um, idea as far as helping you to continue functioning because you have something depending on you, something you have to get up and take care of. Otherwise you're kind of left in this state of spiraling of you you can't really even get up anymore. You can't quite take care of yourself. And so it really helps to have somebody else depending on you. Um, And I was trying to do all of the things I knew would help me. Like this is, it's something you have to fight. Otherwise you fall into becoming a victim and you never come out of it. And you feel like, oh, I'm just depressed. I'm going to sit around all day and do nothing. And if you know what avenues to take, you you literally just have to take them. Otherwise you're (laughs) going to get stuck. Right. And So I remember clearly having an image come to my mind sitting there with my puppy and it kind of came out of nowhere. I hadn't been contemplating suicide before that, but it was so clear and just for the sake of, you know, others watching or listening that might be triggered by it, I won't go into details, but I remember feeling this overwhelming peace about that decision. Like that is what I wanted to do and I knew I had to just get out. So I got up and left, called the suicide hotline. They told me to call my counselor and he ended up getting me admitted. Um, And I was in a facility for about a week or so getting the help I needed at that point. But um, I feel like when it comes to the mental health world, you almost have to have some sort of higher power to believe in for to make it to make it through it because the you know the medical route you can take is so iffy and there isn't very much known about how to help people with depression and and other mental illnesses honestly that a lot of psychologists they have a list of medications psychiatrists excuse me that they have to go through before they can help you with anything else so it's just a routine they go through they have to start with the first one and then they go down the list to basically see what's most effective which honestly 
if it doesn't mess you up more, it just <laughs> doesn't do much. Right. And there are very, very few people that find medication that actually helps them in the long term. But antidepressants aren't designed to help you for long term. They're just designed to get you through kind of a short term until you find a long term solution because nobody should be numbed to their emotions for the rest of their lives. I like what but. you said about that because I, you know, I have struggled with anxiety and depression pretty much since I was 13 and then yeah. on and off of, of antidepressants. And it's, it's interesting what you said about, you know, being numb to those emotions because depression itself, you you're feeling all of these emotions all at once. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then you have this complete opposite spectrum when you're taking antidepressants where you just don't really feel anything. Mm-hmm. So it kind of feels like, okay, I'm feeling this absence of the spirit either way. Yep. Such a frustrating place to be in because you're like, what am I doing wrong? I'm trying to help myself, but then this also isn't working. And so, you know, it's like what you said about not being able to fill the Holy Ghost is so true. Mm-hmm. And people think there's something wrong with them, yep. but it, it's not, it's not them. It's literally like chemical processes. Yep. Yep. And I think it just becomes too hard for some people to even try anymore after that. Yeah. So it's a difficult road to go down. And last year was the the worst part of it all for me that I had attempted suicide seven times throughout that year. Wow. And um, each time it was the Lord that stopped it. Like miracles literally happened from, you know, being, what's funny is there'd be times where I would go to the temple parking lot thinking that somehow that made it a little bit better, that I'd be like a little bit more worthy to see him after killing myself, you know, <laughs> like wow. just kind of a weird twisted view of trying so hard to feel like I was doing the right thing, even in the midst of doing something so horrible and having attempts literally just not work even though they clearly would have with all reason and logic looking at what had been happening at the moment it should have worked and then having it not work at all was like that i cannot deny that the lord has has saved my life multiple times and knowing throughout all of it like i honestly had to rely on straight knowledge just pure knowledge and I know that's not something you can continuously rely on and have it be um, a, a strong enough pillar. Like you have to have the spirit. You have to have those feelings of confirmation of truth and the comfort. And But at that time for like three solid years, I had to just rely on the knowledge that I had, knowing that the spirit was still there, even though I couldn't feel him and knowing that the savior had gone through all of this and that he was with me even though I felt like all communication was pretty much cut off and, you know, knowing that the church was true, like knowing everything that I had, like all the knowledge I'd built up to that point, I had to just cling to that. And I relied on other people to make judgments for me or to make judgment calls, mostly close, close family and friends, because a lot of times I couldn't trust my own mind to think clearly or to, reason because there really is like this wall of depression that stands in front of reasoning a lot of the time 
I would always say that there's two different brains almost. Like there's the depressed mind and then my normal mind. And so when the they're constantly battling each other and when the depressed mind wins, then those are the low moments. Like those are the moments that reaching out to people seems impossible. I don't think I was ever able to call anybody. I, w- I was able to send text messages though. And that was like a strength I had to cling to. And one way... Like you really just have to figure out what works for you personally. But one way I was able to communicate to people was through music. And so I would send songs to people and they would say how I was feeling. And so they'd be like, oh, shoot, this song is about killing yourself. I need to, <laughs> you know, I need to give them like call. <laughs> yeah. The message. Exactly. Like I found oh, ways. Sorry, I, I just one thought. Okay. Like, it's almost kind of like lower brain versus higher brain, right? Yeah. Like, or, and I, you know, I think all of us deal with that in many different things. Like, like oh, yeah. any kind of mental anything. Like, all of us deal with that where our brains put us on autopilot. Like, that's how we get through life. There's way too much <laughs> yeah. going on. Like, we don't even realize it. Most people don't realize it. But like, if you've ever been driving your car, driving mm-hmm. home, you're like wake up, like you weren't asleep. You're like, oh my like, god! All of a sudden, home. home. You're like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Scary. Like that's the autopilot. We do it all the time, every day. The problem is like, I think when we're dealing with something really difficult, like depression or addiction or like a million other things, mm-hmm. that lower brain fights really hard to be in control way too much. Yeah. And if we can't bring those decisions to the higher brain, then it's like, it's kind of just like the natural man taking the wheel. And like the natural man's really stupid. Like we'll do things that are <laughs> harmful for ourselves and you know, I, I think all of us experience that. It's just interesting to hear it in different avenues, like in different um, situations. Yep. Yep. And I think it's really critical to understand your body, to understand your mind and how it works to be able to get through those things. Like to understand that the the Lord created, um, well, what's the word for it? Like kind of cop-outs, like he created safety measures that your body will activate almost in moments of distress. You know, you get the fight fight or flight or freeze responses, just things that your body will automatically do in moments of um, kind of life-threatening things or just high stress moments. And in a way, your brain starts to dig these little avenues through your brain that um, become habitual. And so <clears throat> with depression, you could even like reference it to light or right and left brain, even though that's not super accurate, but like, you know, say the left side of your brain is the negative side and the right side is the positive side that if you're in this like state of negativity for so long, that side of your brain becomes so powerful. And then the right side of your brain is weaker. You know, it's like muscles, the right side of your brain is weaker. And so then when you try to go back to that positive thinking, it's really hard because those pathways are not, haven't been used in so long that they're really weak. So I found that in like recovery that a lot, even, even now still, because I would say that, so the suicide went away around like December of last year doing ketamine that took it away almost instantaneously and it was really strange to have it just disappear. I had no desires anymore. And and for a while there, that was all I could think about was 
plans of how to die. Just you'd be walking down the street and have an image of throwing yourself in front of a car, you know, just different things, intrusive thoughts that would pop into your mind all the time to where it just became normal. And then for that to suddenly stop and then to do TMS, which um, recreates some of those pathways in your brain that have been damaged by depression and then also slows down or gets rid of some pathways that anxiety um, overuses, <laughs> you know. Um, after that, I had to really continue to practice because I would still have those thoughts of, you know, like this is really hard and I'm not good enough or I'm not doing good enough, you know. And um, at that time, like my husband would have to remind me that's just those strong depression muscles still talking. We got to work on building up those other ones, you know, on the other side. Like you're doing great. It's just going to take exercise. You know, it's going to take some practice to feel normal again. Um, I went through a phase of cutting because what your brain does is it builds up so much emotion that it needs to release it. And in a way, one of my counselors was telling me that cutting is actually kind of a, a good thing because it prevents worse things from happening. So a lot of times you'll build up all the emotions until you are suicidal and all of that is built up that it makes it easier to go through with it. But if you're cutting, which is an unhealthy way to release, you're still releasing in a different way. And, you know, it was just another problem to struggle with through all of the like pain and anguish that your brain puts you through. Um, and also, you know, at that time I was living with two of my friends, one of it, one of which was also really struggling. Um, but they were struggling more with thoughts of like murder. And so had that going along on the side of like, they wanted to kill us and I wanted to die. And so we were kind of almost joking about it. Like, <laughs> you're just like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was pretty messed up so we were kind of like feeding into each other's darkness and yeah it was a really toxic relationship that we had and um there were just so many different things that I feel like the Lord inspired that anyone on the outside would look at and not see as you know from God I guess you could say so for example um something that my psychiatrist and I or something she taught me was that if you can interrupt your brain even just for a split second then you can kind of stop yourself from cutting so then discussing that with my counselor we decided to try fake tattoos so I'd put those on my arms and it would it would interrupt the thought process like oh now I can't cut it because there's something in the way <laughs> it was really fascinating so you get this inspiration from the Lord, like he's in all of the little details, helping, helping the whole thing along. And, you know, going to church with tattoos on your arms, you don't look like you're, <laughs> I don't know, like, <laughs> like, sure, you know, there, there are converts that came in with tattoos or there's people that go through their midlife crisis at whatever age and they get tattoos and they're, they're still faithful, you know, it's fine, but their judgment is a huge thing you deal with when you're going through depression. 
There's so much judgment from everyone. I had to be so choosy on who I would allow into my inner circle at that time because it didn't take very much for me to feel like I didn't belong at church or that I was, I was not good enough. You know, you, someone would get up and bear their testimony and I would immediately feel like, yep, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm a piece of crap, you know? (laughs) Um, and then I would have to get up and leave. Like I got really good at not listening that I struggle to listen now. And so it's it's a skill (laughs) I'm having to rebuild. Like, you know, general conference rolls around and I'm like, I got to focus. If I can at least focus on a little bit of this talk, that's, that's better than it used to be. So, <laughs> you know, I have to say too, that I feel like that's a real thing. Like with church, yeah. you're depressed. Like I remember times and I am not like, I've never been on antidepressants. I don't feel like I've struggled like a lot of my life, but I have had moments mm-hmm. of pretty bad depression. Like there are times where it's like, I was at church and it's like, I just can't be here right now. Like, yeah. I literally just walk out the door, get in my car and like go for a drive for like an hour or two. Like just, yeah. Because I just like, couldn't even stand to like be, and it's, I don't know why, like we psych ourselves, we psych ourselves out yeah. like, one of the best places you could be. But when you're going through it, you don't, you know, you're not feeling the spirit. You're not feeling that, that lift up. So you kind of like, why, why am I even here? You're like, I don't belong here. Like you just start to right yourself out and it makes it so much harder. Like, I, it I guess it's really the adversary fighting back as much as he can, right? Like he doesn't want us there at church. So the right. adversary in our own lower brain, I think they work together and fight us. <laughs> right, right. No, and I think that's that's what makes staying with God so hard is because you got all the, um, there's the normal people at church and then there's the uppity people, the self-righteous people that make you feel like you're dirt and, you know, half the time, I don't think they realize they're doing that. And I feel like, honestly, I was probably one of them when I was in my spiritual high, like feeling like, well, reading scriptures is not hard. How come you're not doing it? You know, yeah. <laughs> not meaning to be you're like, <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, so you, you have to give people the benefit of the doubt a majority of the time. But when you're in such a low state, everything's taken personally. It's like, oh, I can't even sit through class let alone like going to church i i got it in my mind that i i would talk with the lord and even though a lot of the time i didn't feel like he was answering i still feel like he was able to slip in just telling me what was enough and i i would say to myself like i am only going to church for jesus that's it i'm going for the sacrament that's all that is needed i really don't need to sit there and listen to everybody because that's what's killing me. That's not saving me at this point. And so I would go take the sacrament and then I'd usually go on a hike because that's where I felt the closest to the Lord was just out in nature or whatever, you know, away from people. And I even had a counselor like right at the beginning, tell me to stop reading the scriptures because it was, it was one of the things that was killing me at the time. And so for the three years before I met my husband, I had not even touched the scriptures. There would be times where I'd try and it would like open up this Pandora's box of pain. And it is not something you should ever force yourself to do. Um, you should be doing it because you want to and it makes you feel good, you know? <laughs> like, so 
Okay, so now, I have to touch on something here, Emily. Yeah. This is important. I have heard a lot of people say, like, like I, I have very close friends and people in my life right now that would say, like, hey, I my like my church is in the wilderness. Like I don't go to church on Sunday because yeah. I feel and like I love to fish. I, you know, I have hunted in the past. Like I love being out in nature and I mm -hmm. absolute peace. Like absolutely feel close to the Lord there. But I find it interesting that even as you're going through this. You're like, yeah, but I still went and I would take the sacrament and then I would go like, I'm just curious, like for you, do you feel like that act of still showing up to church, taking the sacrament and then going to be alone with the Lord? Like, do you feel like that was very important for you? I do. I feel like, you know, the sacrament was something that was put into place from the beginning by the Savior. And that is what, you know, you're partaking symbolically of his flesh and blood. It is symbolic of the atonement, the reason he came to earth, and the only reason we're actually able to return to the Father. And to go just for that, you know, that is why we even have church. Like, the rest of it is honestly just fluff. Literally, if that's it's, all you can do, just do it. Yeah, exactly. Like, the rest of it is just fluff. It's set up there to strengthen each other. Like, it's a, it's a good tool. I'm not dissing on church. I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah. No, you're right though. <laughs> sacrament. It's sacrament meeting. I mean, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're there to share and build each other up. We're there to strengthen each other through testimonies to make friends, you know, to connect so that you're not going through it alone, right? Um but I feel like if that is what's hurting you, then why are you still doing it? You know, you, you shouldn't be doing things that push you away from God. Or that build up resentment to him. Yeah, like yeah. he's got struggling. Keep all the good. Yeah, eliminate some of the bad. You know, you figure that out. But exactly but you keep that good. You know, like if you, like as someone who's been, like I had probably two years of my life where I didn't take the sacrament. I wasn't in church, right? Like, mm -hmm. and as having been through that, like not having the sacrament in your life, you do not even recognize how much power you have lost when. Yeah. You don't even recognize how far away you've gotten from the spirit. And when you take the sacrament again for the first time, like I, I wept. You know I mean, like you yeah. don't realize how important those covenants are. And like week to week, you miss one week. Ah, not that big a deal, you know, whatever. But when you go for a long time, like, man, it's, it's a bigger deal than, than we think. So holding yeah. on to a little piece of good. I just think that's mm -hmm. super. Right. I pretty much knew that my survival was solely dependent on the Lord. And so I was doing pretty much, you know, my own 100%, which to someone else might've looked like 1%, you know, someone else that didn't know what was going on. Um, I was literally doing nothing, nothing that I had done before. I was just surviving at that point. And that was enough for the Lord. And it was, I was really only relying on his expectations of me and not my own. But obviously, you know, that's easier said than done. And I was able to see that in the few moments that I wasn't shrouded in depression. You know, when when Satan just climbs all over you saying, oh, you know, look at what you used to do. Now you're doing nothing. Like you're you're disappointing the Lord, not doing anything that he's asked you to do. These are commandments, you know, you're breaking the commandments or whatever. But I think there are things that 
are church culture and then there are things that are actually commandments <laughs> like, yep <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> i'm like you know what if you can get yourself to do just the things that the lord is requiring of you personally in that moment you're gonna get a heck of a lot of judgment but who cares you know <laughs> like it's just like i was judged all the time for not hardly being at church or coming in with I would come in in my hiking clothes because that's where I planned on going after you know I didn't come in church clothes or whatever <laughs> it just was like I am here for one purpose only and then I'm getting out you know and half the time I would come right as the sacrament was being passed like I wouldn't even come for the opening prayer and the song or whatever but because a lot of things had become very triggering to me and I, at that point, the Lord had sent so many priesthood holders. So I had a really hard time with women. And I don't necessarily have an answer for that. Maybe it's just because they seem more judgmental than men most of the time. <laughs> but, but I didn't, I only had my one best friend living with me at that time who was female. And then everyone else in my life right then was male. Like they were. And I truly believe the Lord sent the best of the best priesthood holders at that time to just uplift me, to be in that inner circle of support. Um, something one of my counselors said was that out of all of the depressed people she had met, I was the one that probably had the biggest support group that she'd ever seen. And I was like, well, that's because it's vital for your survival. <laughs> like, you cannot be you cannot be isolating yourself in those moments as much as that is what feels natural and what you want to do withdraw curl up you know in the corner you can't do that if you really want to live and despite all of the intrusive thoughts and the the plans and the attempts like my spirit wanted to live and i think that's where the fighting was coming from and you know, um, you feel like there's that saying that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And sometimes you feel like you're either blind to that light or the light is so tiny that you can't really see it. You know, <laughs> you just get used to how dark it is. <laughs> but there really is a light there. And it's not at the end of the tunnel. It's right next to you. It's the Savior. And he is just walking through it with you. I remember giving a talk because the stake president in my singles ward at the time last year wanted wanted us to, there was three of us, there was a, a gay guy and then a guy that struggled with drugs and then there was me with depression and suicide. He wanted us all to talk to the leadership of the church at the time to try and help them understand our perspectives and what we need from them, like how they can help people like us pretty much. And the only way I could talk about it with them was by just talking about it as though it were the savior going through the same thing. So I would just be like, you know, the savior did this, the savior went and tried to kill himself here or the savior. And it was, it really put things into perspective for me because I honestly had no idea what I was going to say until I stood up. I had been thinking about it for weeks and then just was like, well, <laughs> Jesus take the pulpit, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And it really did put it into perspective it's like he is walking through every agonizing moment with you 
he is laying there with you, you know, in whatever mess or situation you're in. He's crying with you. He's hugging you. He's holding you. Even if you don't feel like he's there, or even if you feel like you're too unworthy of his presence, like that's when he's there even more, I think. And I know there are lots of people that feel like they can't handle maybe religion or the church especially in their lowest moments and so might fall away. But I just think as long as you keep your focus on the Savior and recognize that he's expecting just the littlest amount from you, even if all it is is just to acknowledge that you love him or that he's there or just to acknowledge him, you know, that he exists, that he lives. That might be all he really wants from you that day. Maybe he just wants you to brush your teeth, you know, whatever it might be. Sure. It's just, yeah. I just know that he is the reason that I've made it this far. And I'm not saying it was a smooth journey at all. Like I went through some cruddy um, psychiatrists and trying to switch when people would leave or when I would move in a different area. Went through one that she pretty much straight up told me that I am the biggest problem she's ever met. And that if I were to um, attempt suicide again, that she would drop me as a patient because she was like, you would break my trust. And I was like, excuse me, you're Jeez. supposed to be earning my trust. <laughs> you know? A little backwards. Uh-huh. Like I literally, I'm just here to fill my prescription. That's all I need from you. You're not part of my journey. Like <laughs> <laughs> But because of that, I ended up having to wean myself off of my medication because I didn't feel good about continuing to stay on it. Um, And I mean, I'd gotten a lot better through the different, um, not procedures, but different things I'd been doing to help. And so it was like, it's time to stop. And I'd already tried stopping cold turkey once and that was a mess. So (laughs) I couldn't do that again. But I don't know. I just feel like timing is everything with the Lord. And I remember the very last suicide attempt. It was probably the most extreme and it came out of nowhere, just like the first. And honestly, it was almost exactly the same plan as the first one, which I thought was very ironic. But I remember sitting there. um, I was just watching TV at the time and I was home alone and feeling just fine in that moment. And then all of a sudden the, that big rush of the desire, the plan and the peaceful feeling behind going through with that plan. It's the scariest feeling. But so I started to actually go through with it. And what is really interesting is at the same time, my husband at the time he, we weren't married. We were just, he was one of the people in my circle. Um, he was praying about me and he didn't know me that well right at right at that point. But he got this the sudden feeling that I was not going to make it. And he started to cry and was begging the Lord that that would be, that he'd be wrong pretty much. That he would take back what he said. <laughs> you know, just was like, please be lying to me. And then the Lord stopped and was like, okay, you know, she won't die. And I remember the same time that, that, that he was saying that prayer, I was sitting there and the thought came into my mind, think about all of the possibilities you're going to miss out on 
And he is what came into my mind. It was very fascinating. Wow. And yeah. Got like full body chills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just so many miracles happened in the last like three, three years or so of that, you know, journey, I guess you could call it. That if you would have asked me at any point during that, if I would have ended up, you know, married with a baby, happy, you know, with a couple of stepkids, I would have thought you were crazy, you know, <laughs> just like, like, there's no way. There's a lot of when, when you're in um, a situation like that, a lot of, you know, who would want to marry me? You know, who would want to, who would want to be with somebody that they don't know is going to be alive one day, you know, that any, any day now is going to maybe be dead when they come home. Who wants to marry that? But it was just intriguing that my husband and I talked a lot about it. And he was like, that didn't scare me at all. You know, just because he had dealt with that too. He, he'd struggled with depression and um, had different family members that also struggled with it. And was like one thing, one thing that he saw that was really effective for depression is just being loved. When you have somebody that loves you no matter what. And I I felt like in him saying that, it was almost like a little bit of a reflection of just how much love was shown to me by the Savior through other people while I was going through that. By you know, family members that may have started out not understanding and giving the wrong advice. <laughs> we're really trying to help and we're trying to learn. And I, I took the time to just educate them on what was happening. And then they became even more supportive. And then, you know, the close circle of friends that was there every day or that would come and stay awake with me all night during the harder times or bring me bandages for the, you know, even worse times. Um, it was just, there was so much love and, you know, the Savior is all about charity. He's all about love and helping you feel accepted no matter what state you're in, no matter where you're at in life. And as hard as it is to see that in those moments, if we can just remember that and not turn away from him, then there's so much more strength and love to be found. And I don't know, I've just, I've seen that clear up to now. Like I'm just now starting to read scriptures again and it's just with my kids, you know, at night before they go to bed. Just starting to kind of recreate this journey of discovering what the Lord wants from me instead of trying to do everything I want, you know, <laughs> for myself. Like all of the things that I had used to want and what I thought was the right way to do things and reinventing. I still have trouble feeling the spirit. I'm not on medications anymore, but I still struggle to recognize him. And, you know, my husband brought up the idea that maybe the Lord wants you to learn a new way of feeling him and not to try and bring back the old ways of how you used to feel him or how you used to pretty much do anything. That it's just relearning. So it's been it's been quite the journey and experience, but sticking with the Lord is really the only way to make it through things. <laughs> It may be easy to turn away, but he never turns away from us. 
Love that. Love that. Yeah. So Emily, I mean, tie, tie this up kind of with a bow for us. Um, your story is just absolutely incredible. I mean, you've been through so much. I think there's like a million like golden nuggets in this that we'll really cling to and just people that are going through it, right? Like they'll be able to understand like, okay, it's not just me. And I think that's important. I, I'm amazed that everything you've been through, you know, you know even in the, the throes of it, that you're able to stand by him and like, okay, I'm not going to just leave. I'm not just going to be gone, which would be the, the easy answer. Like it really is. Right. And um, I don't hesitate to say that because, because I know I, you know, I've been out of the church. I know that's the easy way out. Mm It's hmm not. well, Just even being away from God, not even Yeah. in the church, just to, just to <laughs> yeah. not, just to not have that accountability, not have that pressure. Much easier to not. Absolutely. So, so tied up with the both for us, kind of with that question of, you know, why, why through everything you've been through and that you're still going through, why do you choose to believe in the Savior Jesus Christ and stand by Him? Well, honestly, he was the only one that could be there 100% of the time for me. There, there is a burden placed on people around you when, um, when you're suicidal. And I know that's hard because when you're suicidal, the last thing you need to feel is that you're a burden on everybody. But it is true. I know that it really took a toll on my best friend that was living with me. It was so hard for her and she was amazing. She was one of the biggest strengths that was there for me, but, um, and you know, none of them would ever take back anything that they, they did. They'd all want to do even more if they could have, you know, that, that it's not to say that just because it is burdensome that you should not reach out to people. Um, because it's more of a burden on the person that's going through it, right? Like it's more burdensome to be suicidal than it is to reach out to someone who can help you not kill yourself. So, um, but they can't be there for you 100% of the time. You know, they, they have jobs, they need to sleep, they need to live their own lives too. There is a healthy distance that needs to be kept from people that are struggling if you really want to help them. Um, you know, you have to strengthen yourself before you can do that. Otherwise you just run yourself ragged and then you're not there for them. Like you, you can't be there for them and that doesn't help anybody. So, um, but I chose not to leave the savior because he never left me. He was there 100% and would always let me know in different ways, since I couldn't feel much, couldn't feel the spirit. He'd let me know through a random song that would pop on. He'd let me know through a random text that someone was sent. And honestly, none of these things are random. Like It was not coincidental. Um, and he'd let me know even just, you know, in my puppies. I have two of them now. I had, I got a second one during that time, but just through them, and the unconditional love that a dog can have for you. And it was fascinating to see that I almost feel like I've gotten to know the Savior better during those three years than the, in my entire life, even with all of the studying and all of the um, teaching and all of the um, 
classes and books or whatever. It was walking through, you know, Gethsemane with the Savior. It was living in a place just south of hell that (laughs) was where I got to know him even more and got to see just how non-judgmental he is and how loving and accepting he is of everybody you know that you can be going completely against his teachings and he will still love you not that it's something you should (laughs) strive to do but (laughs) just um it's just fascinating to see that and so it's helped me a lot to not be quite so judgmental of others too and just to kind of recognize that you know Everybody's got their own journey they've got to go through, but the Savior is right there with every single one of them, just like he was for me. And so who am I to turn to someone and be like, "Mm, yeah, you're not doing, you're not doing what you should be doing. Like, (laughs) so I don't know. I, I could never leave him. I just can't, I can't do that to him and I can't do that to myself because it would just be, it, it would break me more than any any mental illness could or any abusive um, partner I've had in the past or any sort of addiction we've faced, you know, that would, that would result in more brokenness than anything else. I just, I love him. I can't do that to him. I just think of Peter, like, where would I go? You know? Right. Right. Where would I go? You know, there, there's, no one else there's nothing else like the savior no and everyone else i've seen that has left him they're always sad there isn't true joy there it's not lasting at least and usually they come back but when they don't you know they're just miserable searching for that happiness and it's not there it's not anywhere but in the savior long term yeah and i think once you once you really go through something so hard that really like brings you further than rock bottom. Yeah. Can't deny the power that he has in your life anymore. Nope. <laughs> you just can't. Like once you feel the savior's love for you, that's not something you can forget. It's literally like imprinted on your spirit. Yep. Yep. I believe that. Absolutely love that. Well, Emily, it's been amazing hearing your story. You know, we appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Any last parting thoughts or parting words you want to leave? Oh, the pressure. Just keep going one day at a time. That's all we can do. If we think about too much, then it's overwhelming. So you just think of one day at a time. And I like to think of, you know, just trying to look at all the things you did accomplish and not what you didn't. I love that. If we could all remember that, I think we'd be a lot easier on ourselves. Oh yeah. We're our own worst judges, our own worst enemies. (laughs) For sure. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Again, we loved having you on and you never know who you can touch or who you can help by sharing your story. And I think it was definitely, um, inspired that we both felt like you needed to be on here (laughs) so (laughs) we're just grateful 
Oh, I hope I didn't ramble too much, but <laughs> it was a good opportunity, I think. Oh, you are awesome. Thank you so much again. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you.